right. Well, hello. Hello. How are you? Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Look at you. I know. Not even being sarcastic. I actually feel really good. Good. I'm glad. Thanks. Yeah. Well, now it's your turn to oh, be the grumpy one. I know. Now we'll see. We'll see if it bounces out. <laughs> like, oh, I really thought Crystal was the grumpy one, but Cat is actually the true bitch. That's <laughs> right. Well, that's why. That's why um, I was saying maybe now that I have my sleep disorder yeah. worked out. Um, we'll see if I truly am just a bitch or if I was just tired. Yeah, but I, I saw that when you posted that and then I wanted to write, yeah, but grumpy bitches rock. Because <laughs> it really takes one to know one. So that's why yeah. <laughs> that's why I know. Anyways, hello. Welcome back to Alternative Interests. My name is Kat. Hello, Kat. My name is Crystal. Hey, Crystal. Yay. And we enjoy having all of you here. I know. Welcome back, everybody. We have a we. I have a good story, I think. It's a good story to me. I don't know. And, you know, I thought I knew this one, but uh-huh. it turns out I was thinking of something completely different. You'll have so to I'm actually... tell me what you thought you were thinking later of which one it was. Yeah, I... I had only heard the story one time, so I'm probably getting it completely wrong. But there's a um, a massacre oh. that occurred, like on an island. Oh no, 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 no! Was it this? Is that the Swedish? I, I saw a, a documentary. No, it was a a movie based on real events, and I want to say it was in Sweden at a camp, and there was like I a don't mass think it shooting. Was... I forget. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. So it was. Um, it was a political camp. Yes. For children yes. of po- famous political leaders. Yes. And they were all at this camp on an island. Yep. And I don't remember if it was adults or children that came with guns. It was adults. And and they were just running people down. And because it was on a literal island, island yep. police couldn't even get there because they had to take. Boats Correct. and yep. helicopters. Yes. They actually had to take helicopters because the channel was so dangerous. Exactly. And there is a movie about it. I need to remember where I saw it. And you should watch it because it was actually really good and well done. So yeah, um, I don't know what it was I want to say it was last podcast on the left did an episode. Oh, on did it, they? It was absolutely insane. Okay. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was that. Okay. Um, and for some reason, that's what I thought we were talking okay. about today. Well, but now no. I'm going to have to add that to our list. No, we aren't talking about that one today. But yes, add one, add that to your list because that was a really good one. We are doing another case from the UK. Um, and this one is called the Hartley Pool Killing. To give you, I want to give you a little background before I dive into this case, but uh, this case happened or this incident happened in 2014. And in the UK during that year, there was only 515 cases of murder or manslaughter in England and Wales and very few, like it, it, they were just murders or manslaughter, or whatever. They didn't get a lot of media attention. However, this particular case you would have never heard of at all had the victims not been who, or not the victims, had the victim and the, the two that did it not, not been who they were. And that's going to make sense in a little bit. And they weren't anyone famous, but just 
the circumstances surrounding this case, it was huge in the UK. So I want to put a little bit of context on that number of 515 cases. Because that honestly sounds like a lot to me. Oh, it does? That sounded like nothing to me. One case is a lot. Oh my gosh! I when I said when I saw five hundred and fifteen, I was like, "That's not a lot." Isn't like England and Wales huge? I mean, they're they're sizable, but five hundred and fifteen—that's more than one a day. Well, yeah, but this is like—it sounded like a lot to me. Like it doesn't not not an astronomical number, but that's that's a lot. Well, yeah, to put it in context. In the United States in 2014, there were over 14,000. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for that context. Cause yeah, so I just wanted to put that. I mean, the United States is much, much larger. But that also puts it into context. Yeah. Like how when you're saying only 500 some, like it it really is a smaller number. Yeah. Is it, Carry is on. it worrisome that even the 14,000 doesn't seem like a lot to me? Maybe that sounds like a lot to me. Mm, not, not That's to me. too much. That is too much. Murder and manslaughter, over 14,000 in one year. Well, people make... That's a lot of episodes, people, I guess. People make poor choices. All right, here we go. In the Hartlepool case, this, was, this case was described by one of the lawyers at trial as just a terrible moment in history when these three people collided in the most appalling and tragic way. So there's three people involved here, and let me tell you about it. So Hartley Pool is a city... Is that what they call them in the UK? They do. I sound like such an idiot. Um, is a city in the UK. So it's about 240 miles south of London. And Hartlepool, this place in particular, is kind of, I want to describe it like in a state, there's like always a part of a state or a town or a city that's just like the bad part of town, right? Yeah. And yeah. this is what Hartlepool is. It is oh, just okay. really... Not so great. And the levels of alcohol-related crimes in Hartlepool is actually the highest in the UK. So this place is known as, it's just really not good news. It's ranked um, 320th out of the 326 local areas (laughs) for the percentage of, like, it said at-risk drinkers, but I... I'm thinking this is more of like the percentage of people who are alcoholics. And most of those people live on a specific street in Hartlepool, which is called Stephen or Stephen Street. And it is just basically this long street on this rundown road. Most of the houses aren't even have nobody living in them because they're boarded up and mm-hmm. 25% of the people who live in that area are unemployed and not seeking employment is how they labeled them. So not only do this they just, yeah. So it's, 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 it's high crime, high criminal activity. It's just a, a very sad, depressing place. Yeah. And it just sounds like the type of environment that, 
if you are someone who is prone to commit crime, yeah, that you're you going to gravitate towards a place exactly. Like and if you gravitate, gravitate, <laughs> if you gravitate towards a place like this, you know that the other people that are already there aren't good news anyways either. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like this perpetual just cycle of events there. It also sounds like the kind of place that you get stuck in where you oh, can't get yourself out. I'm sure. It was here where our victim, Angela Wrightson, who was 39 years old, was murdered. This was a very, very vicious attack that she endured in her own home. It lasted about seven hours. Wow. Even worse, her killers were only 13 and 14 years old. Are you kidding me? And they were teenage girls. Oh my God. Yeah. So when I first was looking at this case, I was like, I wish there was a way I could tell this case without telling you the victim's sex or age or, you know, the two that did it without telling you their sex or age. But it just wouldn't have made sense. I would have told you at the end. But because when I heard this case, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's awful. But I don't know why. When I then heard they were they were girls, the two that committed this horrible, awful, torturous crime, I was even Mm -hmm. more shocked, especially with their age. Yeah, because when I think of like 13 and 14 year old girls, I think of like. Shopping at the mall together yeah. and dressing up in each other's clothes. Yeah. And in 2014, like that would be like the time where you're, um, I mean, Snapchat is getting popular. Oh, so and these two use Snapchat. You're playing with filters. They, used, your, they did not use filters. They should have. But they, these two girls were Snapchatting it up and the most inappropriate and oh, awful way. And you'll hear about that later. Okay. But but then again, think about the area where I am telling you this is happening. And so you can kind of understand in the first place if there's 13 and 14-year-old girls hanging out on Stephen Street, right? Obviously. Yeah, it doesn't sound like the kind of place that girls like that should No. B. So let me tell you a little bit more about Angela Wrightson. So again, she was 39 years old when she was murdered. And obviously, unfortunately, her life started and ended in an awful, awful way. Um, She always had a tough life. Um, She was estranged from her entire family at a very young age because her and her eight siblings were always in and out of the foster care system as children. And it sounded like uh, a lot of the siblings were raised in different places anyways. So there was never a time where all eight siblings and mom were ever together. So Right. So they don't really get a chance to bond. They don't get a really good chance to bond or to, you know 
live together. So uh, they were actually originally from Darlington is where uh, Angela is from. And she was in and out of prison for most of her life, mostly because she was an alcoholic. She did drugs and alcohol from a very early age. In some articles, um, I think it was reported that she had started drinking and using drugs around the age of 10 or 11. So she... So, and this was like, I I don't know how else to explain it, but it was just a common thing for where she was, for the system she was in, for the situation that she was born into, um, Mm -hmm. is the only way I can describe it. But she was harmless. She would, she could get aggressive when she was drinking, but she was really just harmless. She did have some, like most of her stuff, it sounds like was more like it's damaging to herself yeah. but she wasn't a danger to society yeah I don't think she was ever a danger to society I think when Angela would drink I think if you provoked her she would just get mad and then then that's when she would you know do things um, mm-hmm. but when she wasn't drinking people describe her as just very kind very quiet Um, she loved animals from a very young age. There's a couple pictures of her as a kid, always with an animal. And she just loved animals and kind of loved the vulnerable. Do you know what I'm saying? Like animals, little kids, she would often really just want to take care of them or things that couldn't take care of themselves. She would be known to when she wasn't drunk, be very nice, give them, you know, take care of animals, take basically seeing herself. Exactly. Exactly. Now what's really sad is, uh, Angela was always trying to find her way back to prison because that was the only place she felt better. And I'm sure this is attributed to just low self-esteem and just having, if the only place you feel safe is prison, because that's where you're going to get shelter, that's where you're going to get three meals a day, to me that... And that's, it offers you some kind of structure. Exactly. You know who else was like this? uh, Charles Manson. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yes. I didn't know that. When when his um, he was arrested, I don't remember what for, and he was put in jail. And he was released at the age of 19, I believe. And he asked to stay. Oh. He was like, do I do I have to leave? Can I please just stay? Oh, wow. And they basically told him, no, no you have to get out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's what they did with Angela, because every time she was in prison or in jail or whatever, uh, it was for small things. Right. It was Mm -hmm. she's she never did anything awful or atrocious. It was like, you know, for being aggressive or, you know, whatnot. And in her very last prison stay, she was actually a laundry. She got a laundry woman position in prison. And um, she that is where she actually felt valued for the first time. Like that is so yeah, like she was doing something right. And and that was somewhere where she belonged. And so I think, too, she just got into the habit of trying to do things to get back in prison because I think that I think that's where she thrived, you know, and also, too, there's you're you don't have access to alcohol 
well, unless you make it yourself, but you, you know what I'm saying? So she probably could get clean there in prison too. And that probably made her feel better. And then she wasn't around all those other people that influenced the drinking either. So in 2009, she was actually banned from buying alcohol in her local area. Uh, and that was in Darlington, I believe. And obviously she ignored that because Angela is, uh, when I tell you this woman's a hardcore alcoholic, she is hardcore. And you'll... F- no, I get it. I mean, I've seen people yeah. like this, that they literally cannot go a day without a drink. And Yeah. And it gets to be so bad that it's not just that you're an alcoholic and you have to drink. It's like you're, you go through withdrawals if you're not constantly drinking. Yeah. And I think she knew she had a problem. I don't really know that she wanted to deal with it. Uh, She ended up back in prison in 2009. Um, But then in 2011, she was released from prison. And this is kind of like the only kind of happiness bright spot in Angela's life. So when she was released from prison after the 2009 stay for ignoring um, the her ban from alcohol, uh, she moved to uh, Hartleypool for a fresh start. Uh, she got a little house and she was really proud of her house. Even though Angela was an alcoholic, she was very tidy. Like that was one of her things. She was always very tidy. She she filled her little house with knickknacks. She liked like little things that she collected from like figurines. Yeah, like little figurines or just things that she saw that she liked. I mean, she okay. she loved teddy bears. She liked collecting teddy bears. And so I'm sure a lot Aww. of these things can be attributed to like some childhood, you know. And not getting to have yeah. like the teddy bear thing. Yeah. Just sounds like something that's like. Mm, oh, yeah, I so know. Sad. I know. It's really cute. I know. But it's also like really no, sad. No, this is so, this is sad. And then she also had a boyfriend and. She made some friends around that lived in the same area and she would pet sit for friends. So she made friends with a couple of people in the neighborhood and they had animals. And so she always loved to pet sit for them. Uh, She would always watch people's dogs, even if they were just going to like work or like wherever she would be like, I'm going to, can I come feed your dog? And then she would go and basically pet and play with their dogs while they were gone. Because she just loved animals. She loved dogs, yeah. especially. Is there a reason she didn't get her own? I don't know. That is a very good question. I, I didn't read Are, anywhere that she had a pet of her own. Was she working? No, no. Angela. That may have been why. Yeah, Angela never really ha- could hold a job because of her her love of the cider. But she actually had her friend's dog for about three weeks one time she took care of it and the dog actually stayed with her in her house for three weeks and she was devastated when she had to give the dog back like yeah. she was so so sad and she loved that dog um, whenever she went to like the little mini mart to unfortunately buy alcohol she would also buy a chocolate bar every single time for the little boy in the neighborhood and she would just stick it in like oh. the mailbox for him she sounds so <laughs> she, sweet you know what aside from the alcoholism and her aggressive tendencies i think she was very sweet but it's like it's, she's she's like very at her core 
like a good-hearted person yes. who just kind of really got dealt a shit hand. Exactly, exactly. And I always think about how many people has that happened to where, you know, it could have been so different had they been born in the right, I don't know. I don't know. This make it, make it, I don't know. Anyways, yeah. 2011, Angela was really happy. Then, unfortunately, her boyfriend, who, surprise, had alcohol problems himself, died of alcohol-related issues. So I'm thinking it was something like cirrhosis of the liver or... Or some kind of alcohol or, or yeah, yeah, something. And oh, that's tough. Yeah, and it was... But- I, f- I honestly forgot the boyfriend existed yeah, yeah. Um, in all of that. Did he live with her? Uh, at, at one point, I think he lived with her off and on. But like a lot of people, her neighbors that knew her said she was a different kind of person when she was with her boyfriend. Like she was happy. They still drank together. So they still had that crutch of the drink and I'm sure they enabled mm-hmm. each other too. I'm sure it will probably yeah. wasn't a good idea that they were even together, but she was happy with him okay. and she had company and you'll find out that it's her loneliness that is really hard for her to deal with. And maybe that was one way why prison was meaningful to her too. Maybe because you're never alone. Ever. Exactly. And So when her boyfriend died, things just went downhill for Angela. Her alcoholism just got 5,000 times worse, if you can imagine that, because she was already pretty bad before that. Um, In 2012, shortly after her boyfriend died, uh, she did go into a residential facility for eight months. Um, And I think at that point, she did want to get sober, but... She didn't. And she went into this residential facility because she had help from social workers and, and resources mm-hmm. um, that were trying to get her help. Right. So so it's like she probably wanted to get sober. You want to change. Yeah. Like d- d- I want to quit smoking. I want yeah. to lose weight. Yeah. But then there's always those mental blocks yeah. that stop you. And hers may really have been that she was so so alcoholic that she couldn't make it through withdrawal on her well and you know what she was there and it did help her get sober and she was doing well until she figured out a way to sneak out and drink and she would then sneak back into her unit like she would go out get drunk they didn't they didn't (laughs) know she would come back and she would try to hide that she was drunk but then she would get aggressive with the staff and then they were like, Angela, are you drunk? And she was probably like, yeah. No. <laughs> and then they would have to call the police. So um, they they had to kick her out. So obviously she was there for eight months. And then she she was kicked out because she couldn't stop sneaking out and getting the drink. And so in 2013, her care management team that she had, you know, through social services and whatnot, they were actually able to secure funds for her to go to a rehabilitation retreat in York, which was away from Hartleypool. So I think the thinking, so it's like in the middle of nowhere, probably a lockdown facility. You cannot leave. I think so. 
pro- probably not in the middle of nowhere, but I think it was far enough away from Hartlepool where they could like get her away from people that she knew and away from where she's familiar yeah. with because if you don't know the city exactly like, you don't know in Hartlepool she could sneak out and know that like okay I can make it to that corner exactly. store and back exactly but going to the, like in York she doesn't know where she yeah is. and no one's going to report her if they see her in York if they don't know her so a social worker even drove her there but 24 hours later Angela took a taxi back home um, and basically signed herself out because she was just desperate for a drink. Like she, she couldn't do it. And that was like 24 hours later in that one. So, and that man, that just tells you how bad her addiction yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, that's so sad. It is so sad. So many attempts to get her back into treatment after this through her social workers and her care team. And it was just the same story. She kept leaving. So I think at this point, if I'm someone that's trying to look out for Angela, at this point, I'm giving up. Like this lady obviously doesn't want help, right? And honestly, and with the social workers, I mean, they probably have a really heavy caseload. They don't have the time. It's not like one person is assigned to her and only her. It's They have so many clients in their caseload. Exactly. And as much as they want to help, it's not like they can spend that. Every extra moment they are spending on her is taking away from the rest yeah. of their caseload. There's just no winning. You have to remember, Angela's been in the system for so long, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, I mean, her entire exactly. life. And so now I think she's been passed from unit to unit to unit to unit. So in 2014, after the latest leave from a treatment facility, um, she was just at her most vulnerable, right? Nothing was working. And I think people were giving up on her, some people, because she still had caseworkers that were in regular contact with agencies in Hartlepool that continually, continually offered her help and assistance. But at this point, I think Angela, too, was done. I think Angela was kind of resolved to the fact that I, there's, I'm not... I'm not going to get any help. I am how I, I am. am and exactly. going to be. Exactly. Um, there was, there's a specific, it's called Safer Hartlepool Antisocial Behavior Unit, specifically for Hartlepool, for these people. Um, they tried numerous times to get Angela treatment and resources, but she aggressively just refused now at this point. So now, which when before, she was like, okay, I'll go. Like, I'll fine. I'll try this treatment facility or fine. I'll go to this rehabilitation place. But now she's just aggressively refusing. She still had a social worker that would visit her regularly and tried to make sure that Angela was using her money from the government assistance that she was getting for things that she needed, like toiletries and food. Not just alcohol. Exactly. And in the UK, housing assistance is always paid directly by the council to the landlord. So Mm -hmm. she always did keep that house on Stephen Street because it was the government that was paying her rent, basically. That's actually how it works. Here oh, it too. does. I d- yes. Oh my god, I'm such an idiot. I didn't. Even yeah, know that. housing assistance is always paid directly to the landlord. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So at some point, you know, 
social services were kind of giving up and it was kind of unspoken, right? It was like, we've helped Angela. She's now well known, right? We've tried to help her. She's not getting help. Like you said before, they have other people that maybe want to be helped, you know, or even at a certain point, if she's rejecting all of these programs, there's not an unlimited number of programs for her. If Correct. they're running out of ideas and they say there's five different programs she could use, she's tried three mm-hmm. of them. They didn't work. She rejects two of them. She's aggressively turning down other. Yeah, you're out of options. So every now and then you might be like, hey, just checking in. Are you sure you don't want to try mm-hmm. this? If she, like when they start getting aggressive, that's when you start going, okay. Yeah you're not fine probably yeah yeah. so now she's back home in Hartleypool she's jobless and single and she even stopped buying food with her benefits at this point and she would just Uh. buy alcohol she's did still this makes me sad she would still keep her house tidy like people said she would like sometimes dust all of her little knickknacks and like line up all her little bears and oh gosh I it's just so sad um but it also started to become a little bear in her house because she then started to sell her little knickknacks and things for money Mm. to buy more drinks that's so sad how quickly I know she went from like happy and well, a happy, doing reasonably yeah, well yeah, for an alcoholic. To yeah, selling these things like these cute little things that she, she loved, loved to collect yeah, because she just wanted for alcohol. Yeah. Um, by this point, she had forty-seven convictions, <laughs> which was a lot of them were for assault when she would get aggressive. And I'm not saying like assault, like she would like beat the crap out of anyone, but it was like pushing people and, and the wrong people. Right. And, Mm -hmm. uh, theft and, uh, asbos and what asbos are, are basically, uh, civil slaps on the wrist. So in the UK, they're called, it's called an antisocial behavior order and they're like tickets, but they're really like when I was reading about them, they're just like a, a civil slap on the wrist. Nothing comes of it. It's kind of like it's on your record, right? It's like a warning, uh, like almost, a, a formal written warning. Almost. It's it's given out by the court to like stop a person from behaving in a certain way or doing certain things. Like you would get one if you were hanging out on that street corner harassing people passing by. Uh, you could get one if you were drunk at the park. Right. Okay, but if there's no actual punishment coming with these, what good do they and do? And that that came up in trial, actually. Okay. And so so that did come up again, and I'll talk about that. I think I talk about it again. But yeah, it's really there's really nothing that can be done other than I'm sure if you get over a certain number and then like you end up in in prison or in jail, I think it can affect... Maybe they add more to yeah, your sentence. Yeah, I think that's what it affects there. Um, but that doesn't... 
that still doesn't stop the behavior. No. It just stacks it What up. it's supposed to do is to stop anyone and anyone aged 10 or over can get these. And oh my God, an 11 year old. Yeah, getting an asthma. Laughing too exactly. loudly while they play. Um, and it's just over like harassing or just com- causing alarm or distress to other people who aren't in the same household. Man, it's just. Yeah, it's odd. And we have some UK listeners. Can you guys please yes. explain this to me in a way that I will understand? Yeah, because I was I was reading about them and I'm like, huh. But like she got them for things like she would make fake calls to the ambulance service all the time. Like prank calls? No, like saying I need help or I need assistance or somebody needs help and someone needs assistance and they would come out and... And it was probably she was just yeah, so drunk. or she was also lonely. Oh yeah, um, I actually heard a nine one one call very similar to oh, this. Don't tell me about um, it. No, <laughs> this woman called nine one one, and she was—you could hear in her voice she was drunk, mm-hmm. and it was um, something was wrong with her doorbell, oh. where it just kept ringing over and over. You could hear it in the background yeah. of the call. And so she's drunk. So, of course, this like ding, 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 ding. She's like, someone is trying to get in my house. And the 911 operator is like, well, it sounds like your doorbell. Do you know where the sound come, where the sound box yeah. is? And this woman is like, I just, I want to sleep. Aww. And and it's been going. And she's like, can you call your landlord? <laughs> and Like, this isn't something we really oh, send police thing. for. Yeah. And you could hear, like, she rambles on about how she's just moved in when here. she doesn't know anyone. Yeah, and she doesn't even know the number to call for her landlord. Yeah. And it's late at night, Aww. and man. It was probably Angie. Or Alco Angie, as she then started to become known in the area. They would call her really? Alco Angie. Or Alco Ange. She frequently, now she was frequently getting into fights. So at the worst, she was drinking at least nine liters, which is a little over two gallons of hard cider a day. Okay, hard cider is not that high but alcohol still, content. A little over two gallons. I thought you were going to tell me like hard liquor. Still, crystal, two gallons, oh a little God. over two gallons of hard cider. I'm sorry. That's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, of any beverage, that's a lot. It is a lot. And she was, I believe. When we get into it later on, I believe she was only like five three and oh and God. only eighty nine pounds. Yeah, because she's not eating. No. I actually, honestly, really picture. Yeah, her being so really, she is. She's like, tiny. She's tiny. So she was oh often found lying in the middle of the road. She would literally uh-huh. start drinking as soon as she woke up, and then oh. she would keep drinking all day till she basically passed out. Uh, she rarely used any part of her house except for the living room and the sleeper sofa. So like there wasn't any cooking going on in the kitchen. She wasn't in her bedroom. She was just, it's just sad. 
I mean, you could picture it and it's sad. She would. Well, yeah, because I mean, if you're that lonely, why would you want to go to a bedroom yeah. where you're even more secluded yeah. in your house? And you'll find out in a second probably why she enjoyed the living room too. Is So she would often call her neighbors and her friends and she would make up problems because she just wanted company. Like, so like that story you were just telling about the lady calling about the doorbell, she would mm-hmm. literally, she would make up things like, oh, I think I hear something. Can you come look? Or, oh, I, this happened or I need this. And because she just. And I hate to say it, but you know, most people get really annoyed with that. Really I know. Fast. I know. So like, it's, it's really easy to see, man, they're just lonely. Just go talk to them. But it also gets really old, really fast. Yeah. yeah. We were like, man, I know that you're lonely. I know you want yeah. someone to talk to, but I can't do this yeah. anymore. Yeah. And I'm sure that's what was happening with like the adults in the area. And like I told you before, you know, Stephen street was, or Stephen street was a really bad part of town, high crime rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so around this time, um, teens would would start hanging around that street because obviously knowing there was, obviously there's drugs, obviously there's alcohol. So, you know, it's an... No one, and no, like if they're out there doing drugs or alcohol, it's not like the neighbors are going to no, call the exactly, cops on them. exactly, because the neighbors are doing drugs and alcohol as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The youth, the teens that were hanging around here, they singled out Angela. They were like, you know, they took advantage of her. They spotted. Well, yeah, because if she's so drunk that she's passing out, like, hey, she's always got alcohol on hand. Let's go to her house. Exactly. So they knew she was vulnerable. And that is exactly. Oh, and then she's also lonely. Exactly. Oh, my God. Yes. yes. I can, like, see Uh, where this is going. So they took advantage of her a lot. Apparently, Angela's house became the spot for all of these local just, like, Youth and they would come around and they would start begging her to buy them cigarettes and alcohol and they would hang out in her living room, like basically letting themselves in and hang out in her living room till she gave them something, which she would all the time. Because that meant they would come that back. That meant that would come back. Um, she was buying them alcohol from a nearby shop uh, and sometimes she would do it so they would come back, but she was also doing it so they would leave her alone. So it was kind of like this love-hate thing I think she had with it. She didn't like them hanging around her house but she and getting drunk and using her for that. But she also liked that they were there and they were around, you know? And Man, this is so hard. Yeah, and so... Um, People were going in and out of her house all hours of the night and in trial. I mean, they, it was like a list of characters from like some book. There was like Mad Molly was in there all the time, Goofy and Cider Bill. And like these people were just like, they don't have real Yeah, names. they were just hanging out and um, no one ever bothered knocking. And then they started stealing things from her house, oh. like uh, mobile phones. Like she would have um, just disposable mobile phones like when she needed to contact resource people or yeah uh, and I also she was also in touch with some of her siblings like not frequently but like there was one or two that she would still talk like check in with you know 
Man, and how much different would her life have been if she could connect with even one of yeah. those siblings? Yeah, I know. But they took mobile phones, um, money. They would just sit in her house and drink or take drugs. And like, you know, we were talking about, she allowed this to happen because of just the loneliness, right? That she was feeling. And it's not like she could keep them out. No. Because, you know, if she locked the door, they'd, they'd just, just come break in. in a window. They'd come in. Um, she actually called the police over 300 times. Wow. And in what time frame? This was in that year. So two, I think we're in. That's a lot. Yeah, just to get them out. But again, the police would be so frustrated because they'd be like, okay, we'll get them out, but don't let them back in. And then she would. She would let them come back. So it was it was frustrating, I'm sure, for the police, too. And at one point, yeah. they start ignoring her calls, right? Well, yeah, because at, at some point, they're realizing that every time they go to deal with this for her is taking away from other calls and other potentially really more important things they could be doing. Yeah. And, you know, some of them were her friends. Some of those people that would come into her house were actually her friends, but the majority of them were just teens that were just being assholes and taking advantage of a woman that they know they can take advantage of. I just don't understand, like, this sounded like a pretty sweet deal for them, Mm -hmm. that they have a place they can go, that they can get the cigarettes, they can get the alcohol, they have a place that they can do drugs, Mm -hmm. that they're not going to get caught. Why would you take that too far and ruin it? Teens are stupid. Like, children are dumb. These, they're the worst. All of these kids in Hartlepool, I can tell you right now, are the worst. So, her neighbors even... Like, we're like, dude, these kids need to go. So some of the neighbors would even try to help out by calling the police when the kids were getting too rowdy to try to get rid of them, too. Like, like a noise. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure they would just get asbos, right? Because they're just. Which don't do anything. anything. Um, Like I was like I was it was such a I feel like for Angela, she was so lonely. And I think the alcohol kind of. Um, helped with the loneliness a little bit. Um, And then when it didn't, she resorted to other things. So like, you know, when the kids would get annoying, she would kick them out. Um, When they weren't annoying and she wanted someone to hang out with, they would be there. Well, she started, uh, she would do the same thing with her landlord. So her landlord was uh, John Megason, and she would often call him with fake problems, like a broken window, a clogged sink. And when he would get there, he's like, Ange, like your window isn't broken, your sink isn't clogged. And then she would threaten him that she would break the window or clog the sink if he didn't give her money to buy <laughs> to buy alcohol. What? Yes. So, so she would often, this was, 
<laughs> this was her cycle. So when that is not what I was I expecting. Know. So when Angela, when Angela would run out of money because she was buying drugs and alcohol for the youth in the area, um, and alcohol for herself, uh, when she would run out of money and she would have no option, she would call her landlord John, and she would be like, "Hurry, come quick! The window's broken!" And he'd come and he'd be like, "The window's not broken." She'd be like, "Yeah, but I'm gonna break the window if you." But gonna be but I'm gonna, oh I'm gonna break the window, and so it was. Uh, John was saying it was the same thing every time. He would say, "No, I'm not giving you any money." So she would then throw his keys at him, and then she would leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just yeah. So this was this okay. was a cycle with Angela, and you know that I mean. He probably knows her well enough to know she's not really going to trash this house. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And he's getting her rent paid every yeah. month because the government is her assistant. Yeah. So he has more incentive to leave the the lonely, crazy woman there. Exactly. So December 8th was one of those times. Uh, she, again, called the landlord, asked him to come over. He would come over. Um, he wouldn't give her money. They would get into a fight. She threw her keys at him and she left. And that was December 8th. And usually the cycle was they'd get into a fight. She'd throw her keys. She would leave. He would always pick up her keys and then like bring them back to her at some point, you know, the next day, because he, mm -hmm. I think he knew she's going to get drunk. I don't want anyone else grabbing her keys. Like it was just this thing. Right. And December 8th, like I said, was one of those times. And so he just had her keys and then she left. And so did he. But then the next day on December 9th, when John, her landlord, came back to return her keys, he walked into her apartment and unfortunately found Angela dead. Okay. And it was in, she was found in the middle of her living room the house was a mess. And he said, and I quote, it was akin to a bomb going off is what he saw in front of him. Can you imagine walking no. into that though? Like you're expecting to come back, see her, give her keys back like you have many so times many before. times before. Yeah. And then it it's just, I feel like it's almost worse when you're not expecting it. Like if... If it was something different, like, you know, I haven't heard from her yeah. in a few days. Let me go check on yeah. her. I feel like that would be different. It's still a shock, yeah. obviously. But this is so, yeah. like, you had no idea you were coming no into No idea. And what he saw was broken furniture. Like, basically, practically all the furniture in her house was broken. Scattered objects, random just objects with blood stains on them. Sh there was shards of broken glass all over. Um, she had hundreds of injuries, and you'll find out how many when I go through that later. But she was also naked from the waist down. And basically what happened was she died from bleeding out all over the sofa, basically. Oh. And that's where she was placed uh, to die is alone. So potentially if whoever did this had actually like gotten her help, she might not have died. Oh yeah. And you'll find out all about that and what happened. 
So right. the arrest was quick, and it was quick because there was CCTV footage that had Angela going to her home and then leaving again to go to the mini mart and then coming back. There was gossip all over the street. Cause remember where I'm sorry, where did the footage come from? Was there a camera on her house? Uh, no, there was a camera on the street and then there was a camera by the mini mart. So there were oh, cam- okay. in this area, there's cameras all over. So, you know, that does. Yeah. Make sense. So, okay. so they, they, they knew where she was and they knew that she didn't leave that house anymore after a certain time. Right. Okay. Um, I gotcha. Gossip on the street, obviously, because everyone knows everyone, uh, social media, and you'll find out why in a second. Um, but it was through social media and the gossip on the street that people, that people, that police were able to find Angela's killers very easily and they were very quickly arrested. And the killers or the presumed killers were 13 and 14 years old. Now, which is ridiculous. Very ridiculous. Now, because of their age, obviously their real identities weren't given out although and this is going to be confusing until I get to to trial but people knew who these two teenagers were from the get-go obviously yeah but when they went to trial their real names weren't used and so I'm going to refer to them how they referred to them in court instead of using girl a or girl b so okay uh, the youngest the 13 year old girl was known in court as Yasmin, and then the 14-year-old was known as Olive. So that's what okay. they referred to them in court. So that's how I'm going to refer to them now. Those are both really cute They names. are cute names. Um, now, by the way, just like um, our Anna Kreisel case, uh, the two girls have a lifetime um, anonymity. So they're... I saw that kind yeah. of like... I honestly forgot about that until you mentioned this thing with yeah. them not being it's, named and then it exactly. all came flooding back and all the yeah, anger. And- exactly. So um, like Angela, both of these girls came from just a really just bad life, right? Bad upbringing. I, again, I kind of see that yeah. coming just based on the fact that they are in area. this area. Yeah. It's, it's not surprising far no yeah um both girls were admittedly by their families just they didn't want them the both family that's like the parents of these girls are just human trash basically um they both came from abusive homes, mentally and physically abusive homes. Uh, they both were in care of social services at the time that they committed this crime. And their their friendship actually was a cause for concern for like social workers and police. Like they knew of these two girls. They knew these two girls were bad news that they shouldn't be together. Uh, and like they would feed they, off And that's exactly other. what they did. They were both very toxic to each other. They would run away often together. Uh, they were heavy drinkers. Uh, both of them were sexually active at this age with older males in the area. So they were very well known among the older males. Um, there was zero parental control. Um, even 
the foster families that they were staying with had a hard time setting up boundaries or controlling these girls. Well, I mean, it's no excuse, but when you're, I mean, it's early teens is a rebellious time. Um, yeah, but you add in that you're in Hartleypool and, you know, you're... You add in that you're in Hartleypool and you know your family does not want you. It's not like teen angst going, oh, my family doesn't love me. It's you know. Yeah. Your family has told you that they don't love you. Well, both like in Olive's family, like they parents were drinking and doing drugs in front of the children, like since they were babies. And, you know, I mean, it was just, it's a cycle. It's just a cycle. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, that goes back to the, that I didn't even know was going to be illustrated mm -hmm. here, that this is one of those places that you get stuck in and it's really hard to get out. It is. Man. And so it's like, these girls did not have a No. And then it's almost two. These girls, in a way are vulnerable and then you have Angela who's vulnerable and then these three these three worlds collided and it was just awful awful and I feel like you know the system tried to help but it it, it's obviously didn't help you know and I I kind of feel you know in a way the system let a couple of them down a little bit Um, but they were always in trouble with the police. They were very well known by the police, by the way. Um, they hung out on the streets all the time. They were both obsessed with social media. These girls, it was just bad news from the very beginning. So after they were arrested and they took the two girls in, um, their stories were the same And then there's an obvious part where the stories kind of like split off. So it starts out the same as, yeah, we've been to Angela's house many times before to drink. Like that wasn't their first time going to Angela's house. Um, They had been there many times before. But after they get into Angela's house is kind of where their stories differ. So... um, they had been, they decided to go to Angela's house on December 8th around 7.15. And w- the reason they wanted to go to Angela's house was why? They wanted drugs exactly. and alcohol or they wanted exactly. money. So they decided to go there. It's around 7.15. Um, one of the other girls had a fight with her caregiver. I believe it was the older girl, Olive. And they both had already been drinking and taking prescription drugs, which Olive had taken from the caregiver's home. So they decided, let's go to Angela's house and get more. Um, They get there. They let themselves in because, you know, they're very polite and respectful. Exactly. Um, The door was unlocked. They let themselves in. And when they let themselves in, because they love to post everything on social media, they start taking pictures of themselves in the house, right? And posting them and like, you know, saying dumb stuff. Angela comes home around 7.30 and uh, they're like, hey, Angela. And Angela's probably like, get out of my house. And they're like, can you go get alcohol for us? Um, And I think at this point, Angela wanted them gone 
because I think Mm -hmm. one of the girls said she agreed because she wanted us to leave. And the other girl said she agreed because she wanted us to stay. Right. So whatever the reason, Angela uh, goes and buys alcohol for them. And there is CCTV footage of her showing to showing that she is at the store buying um, cider and cigarettes. At that point, though, on the footage, there is not a mark on Angela's face or body. And that is very important to note. Like, she looks perfectly fine. She walks in there perfectly fine. The clerk said she was fine. She got some cider. She got some cigarettes. Everything was fine. Um, She returns, and then one of the girls, and this is where it starts to differ. This is where their stories kind of go separate ways. One of the girls said that she got into a verbal fight with Angela, Um, apparently Angela made a remark about Olive's family and then that's basically when all hell broke loose. Um, and that's where their stories differ. Olive admits to hitting Angela once, but she didn't mean to hurt her. And then she said that Yasmin made her do it. But Yasmin said that she had nothing to do with it and she was just watching Olive do everything. So they ne- their stories never matched up after but but they're both both stories place Olive hitting her. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um so basically Angela is battered and tortured for the next several hours after this initial hit. Yeah, and you know when you said broken furniture, that's not easy. No, that's not easy. She, there wasn't, the police, the detective said later that there was not a place in the house that they could find where she wasn't assaulted or attacked. So they wow. carried this out all over the house. There was basically blood or evidence of a struggle or attack in every single part of that house. They used a variety of weapons on Angela to cause physical and deadly harm. And the list, I'm just only giving you a fraction of the list, but it was the coffee table they used to hit her with, the computer printer, a wooden stick that had screws on it that I'm not sure where they found and it wasn't clear if they brought it with them. It was just kind of, yeah. Okay. It just like hanging out. And I'm wondering if, see, my, my thought is maybe, and this is speculation and I don't know why my mind went here, but like, what if like the coffee table broke and they have a leg of the coffee table that's got screws in it. So they're using that. I don't know. But a computer printer was used to hit her repeatedly. Um, the TV set, she had a little, it wasn't like a, a big TV. It was just like a little, you know, cube. The TV mm-hmm. set, a shovel, ornaments, like some of her little knickknacks. Oh my God. A picture frame and her tea kettle. Yeah, all of these things had blood, had bladder, had blood all over them or some type of um, 
of evidence that it had touched Angela's body at one point. Oh my God. And that's not even everything. They forcibly restrained her. The attack lasted for hours. They took pictures of Angela during the attack. So they would like stop torturing her. She had marks and blood all over her face. And then they would sit there and pose with her and post it on Snapchat. You were talking about Snapchat earlier. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell is wrong with them? Yeah. At one point, two of Angela's drinking buddies came over just before 11 p.m. Um, So Mm -hmm. now this attack has been going on for three or four hours. So just before 11 p.m., Tracy, um, I don't know how to say that last name, but. Gasky? Yeah. And Melanie Moon. That's a good name, by the way. Um, Tracy and Melanie banged on the door and shouted for her. Melanie tries the door and it's actually unlocked and she sees the mess in the living room. Like she walks in and she sees. So again, how many, so this is a little after 11, the girls came over. And so if the attack probably, so it's been three and a half, yeah, three and a half hours. So, the attack has already started, obviously, and the torture has already started. And she sees the mess in the living room and she calls out to Tracy. She's like, someone wrecked Angie's house. And Tracy is just like, I don't care. And then... And these are supposed to yeah, be her friends? so they leave. They leave. Because they, they're not... They don't hear Angela anywhere, so they just leave. The girls were hiding with Angela in the bathroom at that point. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they were telling her, be quiet. Don't say anything or we're going to keep hurting you. And they were in the bathroom with her. They're going to keep hurting her. And exactly. So the attack continues after Melanie and um, Tracy lose interest and leave. And then the girls left around midnight. So they just leave her there. They have tortured. They have attacked her. Now, they've tortured her so much that Angela is now in a state where she can't find the phone to use it or get any help. And I'm, I'm assuming she's unconscious at this point. Either that, or I mean, when you're going through that much, her adrenaline is probably going crazy. She's very likely got head trauma. Oh yeah. On top of that, she's an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So her brain function is honestly not, at 100% anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to mention this later, but they weren't able to tell at when they were investigating and when they did the autopsy and everything, they weren't able to tell if she was still alive when they left that first time because they come back. So they're not sure if she was, if she, that's when she was dying or she finally was dead after they came back. They they weren't able to tell. But they why leave. Why did they come back? Oh, I'll tell you why they came back. So they leave, but then they return at 2 a.m. And you'll find out why they came back in a little bit. But when they return at 2 a.m., they continued on with torturing and hurting her. When they So she potentially could have been dead when they came back and they were just beating her dead body. Exactly. Uh Uh-huh. What the fuck? They left for the final time at 4 a.m. 
So again, they left at midnight. They come back at two. They leave again at four. Okay. They leave, they're leaving at 4 a.m. And Olive called the, her caregiver and there was no response. And I think Yasmin had called somebody too, but they didn't get a response because it's 4 a.m. And these girls should be in bed. Um, mm-hmm. There's no response. So they called the police for a ride home, which I guess was a common thing that they would do because these bo- both of these girls were listed as vulnerable and high risk. So they were used to calling the police to come get them and the police would come get them. So it was like they was their personal Uber there in Hartlepool. And they called because they were cold. Now, you're going to hear the 999 recording that they made. Um, and it is... Knowing what you know now about what uh-huh. these girls just did, they're, what they're saying, and like it, it's so infuriating because they're laughing and they're giggling on the recording when they're talking to this operator. And the operator is clearly like, uh, you guys are idiots. Like, what do you want? Why are you calling? Mm-hmm. And so you'll... When you hear the 999 recording, just think about what these girls just did and then how they were acting. Conversation recorded on December 9th, 2014 at 4 hours 19 minutes. Hello, can you please? Uh, I want to slam. What is it going to go on? Sorry, you asked. <laughs> Hello? I've just reported myself missing. <laughs> I've just reported yourself missing. I'm shouting in my ear. Can you just, uh, what, what, Wanda? Wait, I've just ran to the police, know where me and my friend are at. Will you tell me how long we're going to be on prison? So to do this one for that. There's no need to be swearing, ringing up and swearing and going on like that. What's your name? <laughs> well, I'm cold. <laughs> What's your name? Right, and where are you, Suggett Street? Yeah. Stephen, Stephen Street. Pardon? You're in Stephen oh. Street? Yeah. <laughs> What's so funny? No, you're just a funny. I'm not being funny. Sure. Right. So, listen, right, you're in Stephen Street. We'll get somebody along there as soon as we can, all right? Yeah, I'm going to call. Right, okay. Bye. 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 So, the audio is really difficult to hear because one it's it's modeled and they're disguising their voice too yeah they're and that's the other thing they're disguising mm-hmm. their voice mm-hmm. but but you can still hear them laughing and giggling and they just sound like this is like they didn't like they were just like out for a good time and couldn't remember what time it was and now they're cold and they need a ride home yeah yeah it's awful and this is i mean you know they're giggling because they know what they just did yeah Oh, my God. So um, when the police van got there to pick them up, uh, the guy driving the policeman noted that they were they just kept laughing and they were smiling and like 
you know, after the fact, after this guy realized what they did, like, you know, a couple of days later and they were talking to him about it, they, they're like, were they like upset or nope, they showed zero remorse. They even took and posted selfies of themselves in the back of the police van and they had blood on their clothes that they were trying to hide with like their other their jacket and stuff but you can you were able to see it in the picture how did the person driving the police van not see this i think this was a situation where it was four in the morning the police guy picked up these two girls just threw them in the van and was just taking them home like it was just like a like i don't think he was looking for that i don't think anyone was you know yeah, because they're giggly young teenage yeah. girls. Uh-huh. You don't expect them to have blood on their clothing, yeah. but okay. Yeah. So after the autopsy, there was obvious clear evidence of brain trauma from head injuries, um, but they did point out that there was a lot of head trauma that Angela had that was sustained way before her murder. So uh, a lot of the injuries that they, that they noted on her body, some of the injuries were old injuries, but there was mm-hmm. plenty of new ones that the girls inflicted as well. Um, they also found signs of ongoing self-harm, which I, I think uh, they mean cutting, like she had been cutting herself at some point, and mm-hmm. so she was inflicting self-harm on herself. She did have cirrhosis of the liver, which, I mean... I'd be surprised if she did Exactly. Um, she was also covered in homemade tattoos. So Angela had several homemade tattoos, including um, a cross on her face. Which, for the number of times she's been in prison, yeah. also not surprising. Not surprising. The girls inflicted over 100 injuries on Angela. So many. 54 of those were caused by blunt force trauma. Mm-hmm. 80 to her face alone. Wow. Yes. How do you even get a count of that? I have no idea. She had a fractured skull. There were shards of glass stuck all over in her body and they also, unfortunately, found shards of glass stuck into her genital area. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, before you said anything about the actual murder, I was trying to give these girls the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. that no, this is... This is so much more yes. than they were just in a bad situation. This is way more. Exactly. And unfortunately, you don't really get many answers as to why they did this. Um, but at trial, because obviously this went to trial. Um, uh-huh. And actually a side note about the trial. So the trial was actually put off for a year. So it was supposed to, so remember, this happened in 2014. The trial was supposed to start in 2015, but it didn't start until 2016. And Mm -hmm. it was because there was massive media attention about this in the UK. And since the girls were on social media um, and 
people knew who the girls were and knew who their families were, it like became a public lynching. Like, so essentially they were trying to put the trial off so that people would forget about it? No, they had the trial at that point would have been unfair, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I got it. But their families were being exposed and then they were getting threat after threat after threat after threat. So the was it was it their families like their birth families? It was, or yeah, was it, it was their, their it families? was their birth families. It was their foster families. Oh, it was man. that any it was anyone that had any, anyone connected to them. So the judge had ordered the media to basically stop reporting on the case. Like they, he ordered them, I. You need to take all of this off. Take Basically, it. I mean, it was just riling up the public. Yeah. I want I want everything about the case, like from here on out, not from here on out, but like everything that you guys posted, everything that you're reporting, I need it wiped. I need you to take it wow. all off. And so there was a big fight for a while between the court systems and the media because they're like, no, this, this is what we do. We report the news. Like you can't tell us to stop, but eventually there became, they they came to an agreement because Mm -hmm. it was just damaging. It was damaging because people's lives were being threatened that knew the girls they didn't want, because of the girls' ages, they didn't want any more people knowing who they were. And there was just so much massive media attention that these girls would not have um, been given a fair trial. And you said they were constantly on social media. Yes. So I'm guessing they were not being held in custody um, while they waited for their trial. Well, when I say they were on, they were on social media constantly prior to this and even mm-hmm. after before their arrest. So people already knew who they were because then they, okay. they would release like their Snapchat pictures. Yeah. And so then people were able to easily look them up and figure out who they were. Okay. The judge ordered the media to stop reporting on the case because the danger was just to the families was just way too high. And um, also, this was causing such an uproar in the way social services and police were handling things. So they were just being highly criticized for their role in the case. And I think the judge also wanted to kind of quell some of that, too, you know, like like. Is quell a word? Yes. Okay. Did I use it correctly? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Good job. Uh, oh, if you only knew what I did for my job. Okay. <laughs> you would be like, why is she asking that? Um, so finally, when the trial started, um, both girls admitted to being present at the time the injuries were inflicted, but they okay. denied murdering they denied the actual murder. They're like, yeah, we were there when this happened, but we didn't murder her. We hurt her. We didn't murder her. And then they just blamed each other, basically. So they didn't even try to say, oh, some other person was there doing this and we were just there. No, they admitted we were there when all of this was happening, but we didn't kill her. So Yasmin, the youngest, uh, she still denied playing any part in the assault. And she denies encouraging Olivia, 
right? The older one. Mm -hmm. Even though she had called a friend afterward, after the murder happened and told her that they had, and I quote, stamped all over her head. Oh my God. Yeah. But then in court, she's like, no, I, I, I didn't touch her. I didn't, I didn't encourage anyone to do it. I was there. I am obviously in the picture where Angela looks just battered and beaten with, that we posted on Snapchat. And I'm standing there smiling next to her. But I no, I didn't do any of it. Oh, bullshit. Yeah. Olive, God. I know. Olive, the oldest, she admitted to striking and punching and kicking her but she said i didn't mean to cause her serious harm uh okay you guys use okay but a coffee table and kicking causes harm yeah what, so then what about with the coffee table and the printer and the tv set what were you trying to do there now olive unfortunately has a very low IQ. As a matter of fact, in trial, when they at, when the lawyer asked what her birth date was, she didn't even know. She couldn't say. And is that because she didn't know? Like, yeah, that's because she just didn't know. She how sad. Yeah, um, she was actually deemed to be disturbed. Uh, uh-huh. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. Uh, a forensic psychologist determined that she had. Um, it's called other mixed disorder of conduct and emotions. So, okay. and basically, she just becomes very aggressive, violent, and cruel, and really doesn't know she's becoming aggressive, violent, and cruel. Um, in her care house that she was staying at. They encouraged her to draw pictures when she was trying to kind of get out her emotions. And like, I think six months before the murder happened, she drew a picture that they actually showed in court of like two people standing next to each other. And one has an obvious like fork or knife in its chest and they're actively bleeding. Like this is just with blue pen and red pen and it's her, it looks like she's just stabbing somebody. And she drew this like several months before the murder. Wouldn't you? I would think that would be something to be concerned about. Exactly. But I mean, these girls are already in the system. They're already being looked after. They're already well known as troubled children. Yeah. I guess at that point, like they're way far past where drawing like that would draw attention. Yeah. I mean, this was Olive, and so she was 14. So, anyways. So, more info that came out in the trial. Olive, this is actually really sad, but Olive testified that Angela was waving her arms about in the air when they were asking, like, what do you remember? And she says, oh, I remember Angela waving her arms in the air. And when they asked her why she thought Angela was doing that, She's like, oh, because we were kicking her in her head. What the? Yeah. So she knew she, because I, I think her lawyers were trying to get the jury to believe that she becomes aggressive, violent, and cruel and doesn't know that she's inflicting harm or can't really take responsibility for her actions because of. Yeah, they were trying to argue that she goes into this dissociative exactly. state where she's acting without being aware of it. Exactly. 
But right here, she's saying, oh, she was flailing her arms around, probably trying to block. I mean, two arms cannot block four legs. No. There's just uh-uh. no way. Uh-uh. She also testified that Yasmin kept asking, why isn't she knocked out yet? Why isn't she knocked out yet? So with that statement, I think they were using all of these things. And I think Angela, like you said, with all the adrenaline, kept coming you know, back up to fight or kept struggling. And they, I think, were just looking for things all around the house to just bash her with so she'd be knocked out. Why, though? I, what is the there, point? They never, they never even answer the why. Like, we never get to why they did this. When they asked the girls why they returned in the early morning hours the next day, mm-hmm. Olive says... Oh, well, we just wanted to see if she was all right. What? No. Yeah. Olive testified that Angela's face was bleeding and that she saw loads of blood and her scalp was cut open. She can remember seeing her scalp cut open, but she didn't think she needed help because Olive believed that people could only die of cancer. What? Yeah. That's what she said in court. Is this like a legitimate yeah. because her IQ is so low? I, I, I think so. I, she obviously has some mental disabilities, I guess. But yeah, she, like, she believed that you couldn't die unless you had cancer. So she didn't believe that Angela was dead. That makes like zero Ex- sense exactly. to me. Exactly. Like she's bleeding from her head. But she's like, oh, she'll be all right because she doesn't have cancer. So the forensics couldn't determine, like I said before, if she was dead already when they returned. But Mm -hmm. when they did return, they did assault her some more. Oh, my God. Okay. And what that was, I, I don't know. But they did spend two hours assaulting her some more. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, so say she wasn't dead. When they came back at 2 Mm a.m., I feel like at some point she did die while they were beating her. Oh, definitely. 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 I cannot imagine Angela's life being as painful and awful as it was. Yeah. And ending that way. I know. So at the sentencing, Mr. Justice Globe, that he was the judge of the trial, um, he told the girls that they had carried out a cowardly attack, an attack that included gratuitous degradation sustained over a long period of time with several weapons in many different ways. And um, he said, and you did this on a helpless victim a helpless and vulnerable individual who suffered considerably during an attack. So he was just like, he threw, he was like, you guys are done. So, and I guess done over there for what their ages were is 15 years. So they were, what? yes. So they were sentenced to 15 years. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, now what's really good is that, uh, A few of Angela's family members have been, after the trial or since the trial, have been working to bring about a law called Angela's Law Mm -hmm. um, that protects vulnerable adults who are suffering from mental health or drug or alcohol issues from others taking advantage of them. 
Oh, that's good. Yeah, so giving them more protection from abuse. It gives police the ability to do more in this matter rather than just an ASBO. Good. Yes. So, Because ASBO does absolutely nothing. Yeah, and the Angela's Law also provides more resources for agencies to work together in different areas to uh, help protect these adults more. Okay. So I thought that was super sweet that they they were doing that and that something good came out of this. And, you know, in so many of these cases, it sucks that something like this had to happen. Mm-hmm. But so many of these laws don't get passed until something yeah. like this happens. Yeah. Those 15 years, I got to go back. I'm sorry, because that's just it's not enough. No. It's not. They have to serve the entire time. They have no chances for parole. Yeah, no, it's going to be the whole 15 years. Yes. Okay. I mean, that's one consolation. And, you know, I hope those girls get the help they need while they're in there serving those 15 years. Obviously, Olive really needs it. I don't know what what Yasmin's deal is. Um, I feel like Yasmin needs it, too. Yeah. She, I almost feel like even if Olive was the one who carried out this entire attack, I'm not saying I believe that. Yeah. But even if she was, Yasmin sat there for seven hours watching this. Yeah, yeah. And so I almost feel like she's being of sound mind because obviously her IQ, I mean, I'm assuming her IQ was higher than Olive's. Yeah. I would almost find her more culpable than Olive because Olive, I don't know. It's just sad. It's sad. I feel like... Here are three people in the system. Either one of them could have turned into the other. Like Olive and Yasmin could have turned into an Angela. Yeah. Angela was was basically like an Olive and Yasmin. And just like the attorney said in the beginning, these three worlds collided in the most terrible and tragic way. Honestly. Yeah. So that is the... Hartley Pool killing. Wow. The sad story of Angela Wrightson. And now okay. it is out of my head, that horrible story. Oh, Jesus. And into yours. In so you're welcome. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Question for you. Yes. Who do you think is worse? Olive and Yasmin or Boy B? Oh, Oh, gosh. Or was it's it Boy A? a? It, it, it was Boy A. I think a. I mean Boy A. It was Boy A. I feel like this is the same situation, except... <sighs> Personally, I think these girls are worse. Yeah, yeah. But they. But if you think about it, Boy, in the Anna Kreisel case, Boy A took advantage of someone he knew was vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And in both cases, Anna and Angela were lonely. Mm-hmm. Anna was a child. Angela was an adult who was an alcoholic. Yeah. I mean, just the, I don't know. That's hard. I don't know. That's really hard. I'll tell you what. I never want boy A and boy B to ever meet uh, Olive and Yasmin oh, no. because those that is not <laughs> man uh. I just don't even know um 
we have to uh, we're i'm just gonna sit here with my mouth yeah. open for the rest of the night yeah um but you know if i wish i knew angela i would just try to help her so much to have like i wish she had been placed in an area that was more suited for her healing yeah she was right in the middle of a place that was it just didn't, it didn't help her at catering to the worst parts of society yeah. Also, why were these girls in foster homes, in foster care in this area? Why were they not moved to completely different areas? If the system was so concerned with the two of them being friends, why did they not rehome them? Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I feel like the system let all these three... The system failed everyone yeah, here. everyone here. There is no right. There is no... No... And wait till you see pictures of Angela when she was a kid. And then, I mean, it's just sad. It's really sad. Okay. So, well, anywho, take that with you for the yeah, rest of the exactly. week. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, thank you all for listening. Yes. And thank you for sharing the burden of this horrible, horrible story with me. <laughs> But there's Angela's and, law now, so that's good. Yes. Yes. I don't know if that's good. <laughs> like, It's sad that this have, had to happen for Angela's yeah. law to take to effect. Yeah. But, you know. Um, we appreciate you coming back every week. <laughs> and keep doing it. Yeah. yeah. Bring some friends along. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, th- I mean, the thing that. Cat and I always do is you know if I had to know this you have to exactly. know this bring some of your friends exactly. along I mean you heard this story you know it now they have to hear it nothing spells friendship like murder and depressing crime and sharing awful things with exactly each other. so what else do you have to talk about yeah zero um, thanks for coming yes thank you thanks for listening yes. We will see you next week. Next week. Bye. Bye.